pressure ourselves. We're just breathing evenly. Feel the vayu, the breath. Hanuman. We don't inhibit anything in this meditation. We embrace everything. Like we embrace everyone. All is good. All representations. Just even your breathing and relax your breath because your breath layer, pranamaya kosha, is in between your body layer, annamaya kosha, and the mind layer, manomaya kosha. And that's why relaxing the breath relaxes your body and your mind simultaneously. And feel the energy at the base of your spine, near the Muladhara Chakra, where Ganesh resides, the root chakra. And we're starting new beginnings with this festival, with this diversity panel. It's an amazing idea. Thank you all for being here. And the mantra to invoke Ganesh during this auspicious moment is Vakratunda Mahakaya Surya Koti Samatrabha Nirvignam Kurme Deva Sarvakareshu Sarvada Om Gam Ganapate Namaha Om Gam Ganapate Namaha Om Gam Ganapate Namaha Gently open your eyes Welcome to the bow. Rishi, please. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. And uh, I feel called in the spirit of diversity. If any, either of you want to, <laughs> if either of you want to uh, share anything to get us started with the coming, I'll, I'll, I'll provoke the conversation. But if there's anything else you want to bring in like Manoj did. So when you say diversity, hi everybody, I'm Lisa Gomez. So when you say diversity, what are you implying? Implying uh, the city of diverse. <laughs> you ever been there? It's pretty diverse. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I'm thinking how we bring it all together. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, that's how I feel. Like, my relationship is with yoga and all the teachings, and there's many different ways to float your boat. 
you know, whatever it is you're into. Um, I've had a studio for 22 years. And if you give a label to something, you're locked in a lane. And when you're in a lane, you edge people out. And that's not smart business to want to own a yoga studio. <laughs> I will tell you that. She's a smart businesswoman, I can tell you that. <laughs> it's not smart um, business and living life, too. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. I can teach you the whole business. I've even opened up second studio, third studio. I can tell you, well, that wasn't so great. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> now it's funny. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time. My ego was bruised there. But, you know, and I've been teaching for just going on 30 years, which is so weird to say that. And I've helped in studios and training schools and, um, but the competition thing of this way only, or this style, I think it's kind of missing the point of, of yoga. I'm trained in many styles, and I actually like them all. I couldn't tell you that one is better than the other. And maybe that's just the way I am. But at different times in my life, it's served its purpose. And, and in my classes, I don't say that style of yoga. I just call it gentle. <laughs> or vinyasa flow. Or meditation. And then within that is taught different styles. And in that is where you share where it comes from. So you give credit to all the teachers and teachings that are ancient, that are traditional and beautiful, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And you bring it forward and share where you got that. And, and maybe you tweaked it a little different because, oh, that was hurting everybody's knee. Let's not do that anymore. <laughs> um, or something like that. Or, oh, by the way, not everybody can bend like that. Which is by the way, teaching yoga, you will see that what you see out there in advertisements is not what walks into your yoga studio. What walks into your yoga studio is my husband just died. I was just diagnosed with stage three cancer. I just am surviving a stillborn. Or I just lost a hundred pounds. I want to start yoga. Or I just found out I'm pregnant. I'd like to start yoga now, which is the thing you're not supposed to do to start brand new things when you're pregnant, by the way, if you've ever been pregnant. If you're not already been riding a horse, don't start taking horse riding lessons. Okay? Like I come from the horse background. I'm already riding a horse. I can be pregnant riding a horse. But you can't start that. Same with yoga. You can't be like in a twist. You can't be in a vinyasa flow class. So, okay, if, go back to diversity. <laughs> so, you know, I yoga? think yoga is so amazing. I think that all of us have probably some beautiful stuff to say, but it is, it's like, it's the cat's meow. It is awesome stuff. No matter what you like or where you're at, 
teach it all, find a way to bring it further where they need to go if they're looking for more. Um, I'm trained six years as Iyengar. I thought that was awesome until I got tired of being ordered around rigidly. <laughs> and, can't you say good morning? Hi, how are you? That wasn't happening. Lo was in Ashtangi for seven years. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but what got me into yoga was meditation, was the chakras, was I just wanted to feel good in my skin, you know? I didn't want to be made fun of anymore, being six feet tall. Um, whatever my insecurities were, that was a place I could go. So I could easily say yoga saved my life. And I love all aspects of it. I love Kundalini. I mean, right now my yoga is playing my harmonium and singing and getting lost. And that's my new yoga, <laughs> which for you it's probably been, I don't know, forever. But diversity. Yeah, I let's noticed, do it all. May I say something? Yes. So I've been playing at Lisa's yoga studio for many years and one of the things that I really appreciate about her is that she holds space for a diverse group of primarily I would say women which is pretty normal but what I see Lisa doing in her classes and in her yoga studio space is opening the doors to anyone who wants to come through and everyone who's going to receive medicine whatever their background is and she has May I share that you're in a mixed family as well? Yes. And so what I've been watching is this beautiful goddess embodying her big, beautiful goddess self and creating space for, space for others to be their big, beautiful goddess or god self. The men that come to... We had a man at a workshop just a couple of uh, weeks ago, and it was the only man in the room. And, and uh, a bunch of very loud women. And... Uh, <laughs> And what I noticed was that that man felt just as comfortable as every other woman in that space. And I have a degree in women's studies with a focus on diversity education. I didn't mean to jump into your panel part, but I wanted to speak to this woman's heart and her ability to, as an ally, as an ally which is really important for me, allyship in my life, she's holding space for others to hold space for others who need that, right? It's where do we start with our heart and how do we show up for people who don't have the same background and provide opportunity that may not have been there without the privilege that I, Lisa, everyone in here can probably find some privilege that we have. Yes. Thank you, Johanna. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And that also kind of brings me to um, thank you for sharing. And that brings me to kind of uh, how do, what is what is the con construct of this conversation? Yes, we have you know some panelists here, and even Joanna sharing. And I would encourage you know people in the audience for all of you that have stories or perspectives as we continue to share, um, feel free to want to share. Um, but then let's also create uh, let's let's create some parameters, some agreements. That you know, if we do share, let's not like overshare or take up too much space. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> and don't, don't self. -shame. I've already said that. <laughs> but but you know what? Next, it was my fault. I should have played the music, you know, to like carry you out, you know. <laughs> uh, no, you're fine. Um, but I do want to encourage that anyway. That way, we can all share a little bit more. We can all share our perspectives in a deeper way. It'll be great to hear from some of you guys after we share too. Um, 
for me, I, I think it's important. I, I feel like I have, you know, some fellow Indian, South Asian um, colleagues here, which is a really powerful moment for us in this conversation. We talk about representation matters. That's in this panel discussion. For me, I mean, I can. Only, you guys got to share for your own perspective. But why this conversation is very important to me to share with all of you that yoga is so much more powerful than we even know. Mm-hmm. When we talk about when we go to your your yoga classes and your yoga studios or Kundalini or you go to your spiritual retreats, you're barely grazing the kind of yoga that helped people survive 450 years of oppression from three different oppressors. Right? You gotta understand, there was the Mughal Empire, the British Empire, and the Portuguese Empire. And people survived because of yoga. I'm the Portuguese one. <laughs> we all got a little bit of all of it, you know, at this yeah. point. But it's important to think about, like, how did yoga do that? And what could it do for people now? In whatever the oppression is going on right now, whether it's, to, you know, toxic corporations, or toxic governments, or toxic blah, 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 education, we go on to toxic healthcare. I go on and on about it, right? But yoga is this really powerful tool not just in my perspective not just to be healthy and happy ourselves but to understand the interconnectedness of the suffering around us and to do something about it about the system itself right and so maybe i would love to you know open up the space for priya and um and manoj to share that aspect like what why as indian as south asians why does yoga mean something to you and what do you feel where where can it grow where can that diversity kind of expand into right um into where we're here and beyond here i'll share um, my daughter's trying to get a little restless so it's a good time for me to share while i can hi everybody Priya, Jessica. Um, i am my family's from andhra pradesh which is the south of india um, and the southeast coast and um you know, it's interesting. I like to tell people that uh, I had to reclaim yoga as something that I had the right to do. That's how I grew up. I love you so much. <laughs> and this is Anika, my daughter. And she's named after the mother goddess, Amaladu. Her name means brilliant grace. This is my husband, James. And um, we talk about um, diversity all the time because it's really important for us and Anika knows who she is where she's from on all of her religions. And so um, in these recent years of conversation, it's been really important that we don't go into like shame around the conversation of cultural appropriation and representation, and that it's an opportunity to um, authentically know and study and understand where we come from. And so I have the privilege of knowing where I come from and I have access to teachers within my lineage, and um, I feel so blessed that I have actually found the teacher that I've, I've been wanting to, to, to learn from somebody that I can speak in my native language with, that I authentically feel like this connection with, and it's not just dogma that's coming at me, and um, I want the same for my husband, so that he can reconnect with his roots in that authentic way, and so she gets to understand who she is from all of her perspectives. So that's really important for me. And it was your birthday. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but yay, but speaking of birthdays, who else's birthday was it recently? Baby Ganesha's birthday, right? Oh. And so I grew yeah, up, Ganesh. my bhakti was, I grew up with Ganesha Puja every year. That's how we began the school year. And so we continue that tradition of 
um, you know, uh, Ganesha Puja, and and that's really beautiful because it has set this tone. And I like to tell people that, as you said, it's like it's one thing to learn from outside the culture, but then when you know something from the way your grandmother would pray in the kitchen when she was what we would call muddy, and muddy is like she would take her bath and she would wear these wet clothes from her bath and she would clean the kitchen and cook everything and pray, do everything and like you couldn't touch her, right? Because she had to remain pure while she did everything. And it was and, and it was like this ritual. It's like, I don't even know who practices that anymore. Just like the level of sacredness of like her, like the domestic, the, the divine goddess within her, you know, doing all the domestic work you know, and, and the mantra is in like, I'm learning Sri Suktam now, but I remember when she would recite that every morning, and, and it's just, to learn it now as an adult, as a mother, and to do the pujas now, it's just, it's so deep within myself, and like, I just hope that I can share even some of that with my daughter. Um, and so for me, being growing up, being born and raised here in America, it's been very challenging for me to embrace yoga culture in the West. And I was really transparent with Johanna that I'd never been to Bhakti Fest. I didn't really feel like it was my scene. Um, and I don't sing kirtan. I sing devotional music. I sing raga, mantra. Like I sing my version of devotional music. But I grew up with bhajans. You know, I grew up with all the other ways that devotional music is expressed but um you know that that's i think as a indian as an indian woman indian american woman Desi woman um, my friends would make fun of me and say you're Priya, you're one of the few indians that does that that we know that does yoga and it's like well why is that you know and so so me it's like there's there's like there's a crop there's a cultural divide in some ways um and so i would say that something that's really important for me to see is yes, an honoring of where yoga comes from and our roots and knowing where things come from. And language is also something that's really important because um, thank you for sharing the mantra and, and just even in the way that you uh, introduce the breath and to be able to say things in the appropriate way in Sanskrit. And it's, while it's really important that things can be accessible, that's something that I, I always come in with is if we're speaking another person's language let's make the most authentic effort to say it the way it was instructed to be said because there's power in that mantra there's power in that word there's power in that language and coming off of this whole thing you know with Queen Elizabeth passing there's just a lot of this um, trauma a lot of there was this whole kind of revisiting of trauma from colonialism the most the harshest way that you know, colonists have been able to eradicate, create genocide, this appropriate culture is by taking away people's language or adulterating language. So I will say that in all of this is that we keep revisiting how are we authentically expressing the language the way that it needs to be so that it continues to possess the same level of power and we can continue to honor that, that resonance and that frequency as, it, as we carry it forward into future generations. Mm. Beautifully said. So you're saying we shouldn't say mantra anymore? <laughs> Are you ready to do some mantras now? She came home and she was curtain. like, Namaste. And I was like, Anika's Namaste. Like, no, mommy. 
the other kind of diversity is uh, amongst all of us right we're we're different uh, there's a common uh, and i've been in america 38 years and 22 in india so i think i'm more american you have to ask who's an american i think anyone who shops is an american right? <laughs> the american decor i shop there for am but the uh, we're not a melting pot as the mythology says we're more a salad bowl some of us are broccoli that's okay uh, but when you go deep down what carl jung called individuation you know there's a mask we wear there's an ego there's a shadow side and there's the archetypes anima anima and there's a oneness the self so the more deeper you go in your path you're more towards the self towards the oneness that's the melting pot that's really what unites all of us so my personal opinion uh, i do not stress diversity i uh, i'm comfortable with everyone and i've been through my journey uh, you know in 90 uh, in 1990 i changed my name to mike in the corporate world you know when i got my first job i was trying to fit in those days you know the foreign names weren't that mm-hmm. cool you know so i changed my name to mike uh, wanting to fit in it didn't work i have a brown nose already i couldn't suck up all the time what to do um, so uh, it's really important to be authentic okay and comfortable with who you are comfortable with other people wherever they are on the path so i i just feel the more you go deeper on the spiritual path the less important differences diversity being angry judgmental all that naturally falls off but that i do not i actually love activism i know may have many activist friends i love them all it's beautiful uh, so it totally depends on who you are what you're calling your swadharma is so in a many ways diversity is the eyes of the beholder i'd say for me i don't i look at everyone's the same to me you know yeah that's beautiful i uh, I I you know as you're sharing that and I I think about the conflict that arises even within me when I think about diversity and and personally I've re- in the past couple of years I've actually was selected as a, a commissioner in the city that I was living in the Bay Area I was a commissioner of human relations and my intention was to bring actually the reason I was selected was cuz I would go on to city hall meetings and speak meditations at the city hall meetings like at the public city I would just like say okay time for everybody to breathe <laughs> and I would you know like sometimes play the flute and everybody loved it like the mayor the council they were like wow this person's bringing a lot of we need this and then so they selected me um into the commission and then when I came to the commission I recognized that I actually I, I kind of surveyed everybody the city staff members the council members nobody meditated no one in this, this is north of berkeley so we're talking about a very progressive city Nobody meditated in the city hall, the commissioners, committees, and I'm like, wow, like here we are in our beautiful bubbles, but the people making decisions for us are not meditating. Wow, right? Um, but one of the things I I found in that space that got really got me really frustrated. I'm curious, raise your hand here if you know or have heard or have some understanding or idea of the word virtue signaling. Anybody experienced that virtue signaling? Anybody know what that is? Raise your hand if you know. Anybody want to take a take a gander at it? What is it? Uh, just sort of 
using it as a form of superiority. They're kind of excellent. Bria, you want to add something on it? Just tap it. Beep. There we go. Yeah. Tap, tap, tap. Uh, virtue signaling. Wait, James, he's really good at this stuff. <laughs> Calls it out. Um, yeah, basically being a moral authority. The karma yeah. police. Karma the police. Karma police, right? Karma it's like uh, being the authority, but also advertising. Put it on social media. Hey, I'm doing this. And, you know. Where's my social credit? There you go. <laughs> Performative. Yeah, and, and so in that space, I wonder in, in curiosity, you know, and so you guys have an idea. It's kind of like performatively bringing in diversity, performatively bringing in equity, blah, 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 blah. I can go in any direction with those things, inclusivity. Lisa, you actually have a yoga studio and have had yoga studios. How do you reconcile with not being performative but honoring other, yeah, just being inclusive but not being performative? How do you do that? Um, well, first of all, you teach what you know, you don't know everything, and you are learning from your students. So when people come in, so for example, I have, I have some Indian people that come in, they're all different parts of India, and some of them don't do any yoga at all, they want nothing to do with it, and I've got to talk them into it. I don't know why that is, but it is, and that's been that way for 30 years, so, um, but, you know, for me, I just try to uh, meet them where they're at, <laughs> welcome them in, and um, I guess I just try to find something about them that they're looking for on that day or in their life so I can bring that forward in the way I know how. Now, will I do it right? I don't think it really, I don't know if I will do it right. It won't always work out like that. You know, you really gotta, you really have to operate from this like freshness energy every day. I'm not perfect. I make all kinds of shitty mistakes all the time, but at the same time, because I treat every day like a new day and a class like a new class, even when I'm like, oh god, I'm so tired. I want to teach today. Okay, snap out of it, and it's a brand new moment in time. But when the people come in. And I'm trying to teach them. I'm just teaching them. Have you ever done yoga before? Oh, okay, great. Um, all right, well, this is where your stuff goes. This is what you get. Have you done it before? Yes, I, I, I do know that, yes. You know, there's those people who come in, they know it all. Oh, all right, well, go find a space, grab your props, and start out sitting down. You know, you don't really know how it's going to go. And when someone says they know, you don't know what they know yet. And then when they say they don't know, or they have not taken, you don't know that. So I guess to answer that, um, I just try to be in the moment, be conscious of what is going on. Yeah, so I mean. Clearly I'm not Indian, <laughs> okay? And I'm just trying to share and teach something. Yeah, I mean. But I come from somewhere. And, I, and I, I'm curious about that too, you know, and, and I wonder if, you know, anybody here uh, in my own studios or my um, facilitate, you know, all kinds of retreats or facilitate in your communities, how do we, and maybe Manoj and Bria, you guys can add, how do we get in front of being performative or, have, or practicing virtue signaling? Because virtue signaling can happen even within the same racial group or the same, you know, kind of people. It can happen within a group that doesn't even have you know, actually diversity of thought or values, but it, it can creep up. So how do we mitigate that? And you kind of shared an, a perspective of it, but I'm curious for you guys, 
how do you get in front of virtue signaling but I mean, include I think, uh, when it comes to being like performative especially as teachers uh, there's an aspect of us that is for performative let's let's be authentic uh, and you know uh, many of us are introverts the deeper you go on the path uh, but you know we think we're putting on a mask when we go out and teach to the community but we're not it's even that is authentic. It doesn't need to be a mask. Um, the uh, the word is uh, not performative. The word is uh, prayer formative. You know, in other words, when you're prayer forming, uh, that's how the bhav comes in, the bhakti comes in. You look at the oneness, uh, you look at the devotion. Uh, to me, at the end of the day, there's only one love, right? There's no Indian love or American love. There's only one bhakti. So if you stick to that, it's very, uh, very unifying. There's a almost an addictive nature, right? There's a serotonin that bubbles up, the hugging hormone, the, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you do these events, you're like in the bath, and then you go to the gas station outside, you start to hug the next person. <laughs> they might get weirded out. Right? So, but I'm saying, uh, when it looks, when, it, when it's uh, prayer formative, that's why I so love kirtan. Uh, and I've been at every bhakti fest. Am I used to use I use a lot to use that word? Uh, <laughs> <you're not> <laughs> so it's very addictive. I, you know, I've learned a lot from non-Indians uh, or Indians. It doesn't matter. To me, bhakti is bhakti. You know, you may have different philosophies. But there's only one bhakti. And it's interesting because I think I think you know among Indians. There's so much competition, right? Like, all the, yeah, so yeah. Much competition within like this guru and that guru and which lineage and this and that. And so it's it's so complex and so complicated. And it's like, oh, that priest, that teacher, oh, they're not, you know, they're not authentic or they're not doing it the right way or whatever. And it's so political. And, and you're right. And I think that what it is, it's just like cutting through all of that, cutting through all the noise, right? And getting to that. To get away from the virtue signaling and come back to just that authentic signal, right? That what is that authentic signal that we're going for? And, and I agree with you. It's like at the end of the day, I can feel authenticity, and 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 I can feel it when someone's really. I love. I like what you said because it's like I teach what I know. I don't know everything, mm -hmm. and that's all I can do myself. Like I, as an Indian woman, I don't know everything. Like I'm from Andhra Pradesh. I don't speak Hindi. I speak Telugu. You know, um, I love Bollywood, but I don't understand anything that they're saying. <laughs> and um, I recently found out that like Telugu movies are not a hit. Like that's super weird because when I was growing up, it was like you were like the biggest dork or nerd if you were South Indian. And so same thing with wearing bindis. One day, like when I was doing Bharatanatyam and Indian classical dance, and I would come to school and I'd have um, leftover hen on my hands and ew, what's that? You know, or eating doll or wearing bindis. Ew, what's that? You know, like being made fun of and then you turn around and all of a sudden the next pop star is doing it and it's like the <laughs> biggest coolest thing ever you're like wait what just happened your whole world is turned around upside down and so um earlier what i was saying is like i had to reclaim yoga it's like i didn't have to reclaim yoga as an american i had to reclaim yoga as an indian because my family was totally like why are you practicing yoga we don't do that like that's for backwards people and then, wow. they, and then they realize, wait a minute, Americans are into this? They're vegetarian? <laughs> what is happening? 
so then their whole perspective changes. And so um, I remember I started doing yoga when I was in my early 20s and my grandmother literally, uh, she literally like disowned me because in her world, a woman wasn't allowed to do yoga until mm. her husband gave her permission. Right. So I tell a lot of people that in some ways, yoga had to come to the West to be liberated from whatever social constraints Indians were under, you know, and it's like, and when I tell people that sometimes they're like, well, it's because of the British or it's because of, you know, Muslim invaders and this and that. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, Indians are doing it to themselves. You know? So it's like, it's, that's, it's so complex. Right, and so if we start polarizing and othering, like it's a big fad right now amongst Indians, you know, to like we're gonna call out, you know, amongst everybody, we're gonna call these people out. It's, I'm, I feel I'm on the, I'm the, I'm on the same wavelength of like wherever you are in your evolutionary process, if you need to be in the truth and reconciliation and activism process, like more power to you. And when that is complete, we can come back and do the togetherness. And so I love like wherever we can bring in the breath, wherever we can bring in the meditation, wherever we can bring in just coming back to what's authentic. At the same time, uh, there is something very uniquely amazing about America uh, that has to be really acknowledged. Uh, it's the ability to kind of embrace the different cultures, uh, you know, because of the relative recenticity, like I just made up a new word. Uh, so, you know, it's like 300 plus years old. Uh, so Rishi, what's the difference between yogurt and America? You leave a yogurt out for 300 years, it develops a culture, right? Uh, but then the advantage is, uh, you know, there's a, like, a, there's a, there's a deep, uh, like, ability to assimilate different ancient traditions and become creative. Mm -hmm. Like I listen to the many Kirtan artists, uh, it's very inspiring, the blues, the rock, with the Sanskrit chant, yeah. mm -hmm. the ecstatic dancing. So Yogananda actually predicted this in 1920. He said that spirituality from India will come to America and take on a creative form and go back to India. So I see the Indians now grooving to Kirtans, you know, uh, yeah. So there's the yoga teachers now in India. Same thing. They're eating mushrooms they're, in they're India now. <laughs> <laughs> again, <laughs> again. <laughs> and they're doing ganja and calling it extravaganja. Yeah. <laughs> I just call it Shiva Prasad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great point, and actually that's a, that brings up uh, my uh, a really important question that I would love also the audience to kind of chime in where can we go with yoga like what is the what is a shared vision that we all can at least in this conversation right now we could walk away the rest of this festival and beyond where what could yoga create yogurt i was about to say what could yogurt create um what could yoga <laughs> yeah what, what could it create and any of you guys if you want to jump on what, what could yoga become um here in america and beyond what can it do what can it accomplish what can it look like feel like Please. Um, so for me personally, uh, basically to me, yoga is like part of my religion. Like I'm not native Indian, but I've been sincerely practicing Hinduism in a very devout way for about eight years. Um, I'm initiated by my guru since 2014. And the type of yoga I do is highly religious. It's the yoga sutras are chanted in the background. And ultimately I would consider it, you know, 
like I haven't even heard the word asana tonight myself, but to me, the ultimate yoga is shivoham, like literally experiencing that unity consciousness with Shiva, who is the author of yoga. And when you mention like avoiding virtue signaling and instead actually what is the solution, to me, it's like um, go to the actual roots of the tradition scripturally and understand like all the limbs. And I need to get more into that, but I just know what I practice is actually rooted in a Hindu lineage, which I haven't heard the word Hindu tonight either. I understand, oh, it's Sanatana Dharma. Oh, like it's only called Hinduism because of the Indus Valley. But like, still, like, why are we afraid of the word Hinduism? Like the deity that channeled yoga is Shiva, Adi Guru, Adi Yogi. Do we have like a connection to that? Because to me, that's the direction like we should definitely be going and like bring Sanskrit into every class. Like Sanskrit is a universal vibrational language. Even NASA uses it for like yeah. whatever. Like, and I'm not trying to virtue signal. Like I am a white girl, but I am a practicing Hindu before anything, like when it comes to my relationship with yoga. And to me, it's part of my religious practices. And I feel that that's the source. And I wish teachers, especially white teachers would feel responsible to like even just read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras at least and bring that into their teacher trainings and all these different kinds of Western yoga. I am almost done, but like seriously, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like I just think like, what about like, yeah, I mean, just maybe, maybe, maybe just start with Bhagavad Gita yeah, and Bhagavad how powerful Gita, exactly. and simple and beautiful poem and that is. If anybody wants a Bhagavad Gita, um, my temple actually donated like two big boxes of Bhagavad Gita. They do include my guru's commentary, but you know, my guru is, has trained me to literally respect every guru. The more media attack they are, probably the better they are. Like all gurus that came before, all that are incarnated now, like that's how I'm taught. And like all sampradayas, like bow at the feet of any deity, any guru, and like keep learning. Like that's my approach. So, you know, Who's your you guru, have, for me, uh, it's Nithinanda. Yes, for Yes. And I have definitely, like, yeah, I mean, I'm really committed to my path. Um, but Love the New it. Age community, I took a long breather from because I was just so overwhelmed because everybody was like, oh, you're in a cult, like, your guru is a blah, blah, and, like, we need to give you drugs, and why don't you open up your physical boundaries, too? And, like, that took me away from my sadhana, away from my guru, and down a dark path at a time where I even had Priya as a reflection, and then I was like, goodbye, like, and I'm literally just now back, and I am back, like, firmly devoted to my guru, and, like, at the feet of the pantheon and here to learn like i'm not indian but i am hindu it's my practice like i do puja every day to shiva who i consider the author of yoga and i wonder why why don't we even look to who the author is like the author is a god that's why like to me that's my perspective one one of the things that i'm always wary about with yoga and you know i kicked it off with with my practice um with, and i didn't even tell you guys about my background you know i'm i'm sick um, not like <coughs> sick, um, but but sick as in you know it's a, it's one of the n newest religions in the world. Um, but it was formed actually as a it's you know the the book itself the the the, the hymns the poetry that is um, that it creates a Guru Granth Sahib which is our, our holy book is actually heter heterogeneous. So it's made up of multiple religions within it. So there's Hindu. Uh, poets that have included stuff in there. There's Muslim philosophy and poetry. There's Buddhist philosophy and poetry. Even some Christian stuff finds its way into there, which is interesting for me because that, in my feeling of yoga, is like you said, unity. It's unity. It's actually bringing together all the nectar 
from all the different perspectives, even those ones that might kind of trigger us a little bit. Let's find the nectar. Let's ask questions like Lisa said. Let's ask questions. Let's, part of inclusivity maybe is asking questions and finding out what we do share. So if I may ask, uh, Rishi, like that, were you trained in Kundalini? Or? Because I'm going to ask this follow-up question. Uh, Indians, uh, in India, I was, uh, and Sikhs, I have many Sikh friends. As I told you, I grew up with Sikhs and Punjabis. They have a different opinion of uh, Yogi Bhajan. And I was just curious. Yeah, thank, I mean, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's funny because I grew up, in our culture, um, the, the boys and the girls all learn martial arts and um, learn the arts. So we learn how to make music, poetry, um, writing and reading, um, and storytelling and mythology, but we also learn martial arts. And a part of that martial arts is physical training, right? Physical intelligence. We didn't call it Kundalini. We called it having courage and curiosity, right? Um, Kundalini has commodified it in a lot of ways, and not just commodified it, but took out the civic responsibility. That, the, the acts of selfless service that makes that kind of completes the circle that like okay you become an embodied being now you have a responsibility for everything around you for the betterment of everything around you um, which I feel is like such a sad part about Kundalini because it's like wow people are so close they're doing the great uh, the, the asanas and they're doing the great practice that all these great practices but then they're like missing the best part about it which is seeing the betterment of your community Seeing the like seeing vulnerable people taken care of, not feeling that in our nervous system. Oh my God, there's homeless people out there. There's poor, there's war happening, and I'm like over here comfortable. Like that affects us. I mean, yeah. Sikhism, what I truly I, it brings tears to my eyes is the concept of langar, right? Uh, again, I, if you like, you can share. But you know, to me, it's about you know, like even the Hare Krishna founder Prabhupada. He would say, you cannot teach spirituality in an empty stomach. Yeah? That's why the Hare Krishnas would feed people on Sundays. But Sikhs, uh, the Gurudwara, there's a great tradition of Langar, feeding people. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it. Sure. Langar, yeah, Langar. Yeah. yeah, actually, in fact, all of you are always welcome to go to any Gurdwara. If you're ever hungry, just type it in, Gurdwara. You can just go. Anybody can go and get fed um, a vegetarian Ayurvedic Indian meal. Um, and in India, you can even stay at them. But, and they're op completely operating donation-based for like hundreds of years. And if, if Indians can do that, imagine what we all could do if we practice that kind of yoga. Mind, mind you too, for me, being a Sikh has been kind of interesting because I've studied different kinds of yoga. I've actually, that's a part of feeling sick. It means, sick means student, like disciple. So I, I'm, I feel called to connect and learn different dharmas and different perspectives and concoct my own. Um, and I feel in this conversation about inclusivity and diversity, it is really important that we find our own, you know, Bruce Lee martial art, right? <laughs> like we find our own, you know, practice as much as we follow other people's practices because we are so beautifully individual and diverse. And mind you, I'm learning a lot of regenerative farming these days. What is the healthiest farm? What makes that farm super healthy? Biodiversity. So what if that was the same for humans and human consciousness? So if we have everybody practicing the same meditation and doing the same kriyas and the same, is that going to be great for us? Nope. Wow. It's interesting. It's more people doing any of it. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that when you get right into it, it's a personal journey for each person. 
and um, that we have to remember. We have to be respectful. You know, that's why they say, "Would you join a cult? You join a cult?" <laughs> that's because they feel a little threatened, like you're going away. You know, they they want you with them. They don't want to lose you. That's what happens with your family and your friends. You know, so it is a personal journey for each person. For me, I feel my job is to find a way to make them comfortable to come in. I mean, I'm dealing with a city where there's a hundred churches, mostly Christian, right? It's a couple Jewish temples, there's a big mosque, there's a big Indian community, but it's all different, and Priya's right, they're all like, they don't really like each other, like, they're so, <laughs> I don't know why it's like that, but they're really short with each other. Um, I know it's a cultural thing. I try to understand. Uh, anyways, I'm just trying to make peace there. So when I have a class, for example, I make a little food item. And then we do some yoga, and I, I feed them. So I'm feeding them, feeding, <laughs> feeding. We're feeding everything, everybody in the room. Um, you know, it's you can't you have to let go of the expectation that people are going to accept you know where you're going because some people move faster some people move slower i mean a lot of people got a lot of baggage man they got a lot of um shame pain you know addiction they got um god whatever they were however they were treated by their parents and their parents parents and there's so much there so if we can find a way to ease them in I mean, if it's me playing a, a, a Rolling Stones song and then a mantra, and that's how they liked it, then so be it. And that's why I have people like Johanna come because she knows how to bridge the gaps. And it's so beautiful. And you're right, people need to learn the sutras. But that's only if they want to, you know. In my school, yes, you have to learn the sutras of Patanjali. You have to, you know, you, you know, this is part of my training. You've got to get a Bhagavad Gita, and I give them the one. And then there's other books, but it's not just that. You know, is it so important that I say Tadasana? Is it? It isn't? What? But wait, but, but is it? Or is it? Is it more important that I make them feel comfortable in their skin first. That's what I want to say. You know, first things first, you start from the ground, and we just, we're trying to bring them in there, you know? You can't give it all to them at once. Is it, is it important for them to, to feel comfortable to do this? This might not be good for a lot of people. I'm dealing with like a town with a hundred churches, okay? Um, you know, I just try to, they're teaching me what they're going to hear. And that's how you have to teach. It's not, L it's not L.A. where I live. You know, it's, it's different. It's, um, it's, it's real people working two jobs, and they have kids, and they're struggling, and they're worried about a mortgage, and a this, and a that. And the last thing they need is another thing to worry about, you know? But there is a nice way, I think. I mean, my, my school does well, and it's all different types of people. And they're still their religions. And they're still learning yoga. And Manoj is one of my guest teachers, and he teaches them so much stuff. He takes them down a road that they're like, oh my god. You yeah, uh, Lisa, you, there's something uh, 
<clears throat> very comforting when I see Lisa. I was just there at a studio Sunday, right? Yeah. That's when I taught a workshop. So it's, uh, you know, uh, this is not like cutting edge yoga like San Francisco or Washington, D.C. I feel these two communities are very strong in yoga philosophy. Her people are very, uh, you know, down-to-earth folks. And here I am teaching about mythology, Kali, Ganesh, philosophy, some meditation, but with a lot of humor. And I, I've been doing this many, many years, and uh, I just love the way uh, you bring the community along so they are able to experience the tradition and yet be comfortable with who they are. Yes, and they're learning mantras and chants, and they're learning history, and they want to go to India, and they want to learn more, and they're, what, what book was that, and what song was that, and what mantra was that, and, and that's just, you know, that's the journey, you know, like Johanna, every time she comes, I just treat it like it's brand new, like it's the first time you're teaching them the mantra, she goes, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and she's so great like that, she teaches them the mantra, the meaning, the chant, what this means. Every time she teaches them a word, she gives them the meaning. Every time she teaches them a song, and, you, and it's like this, and you might hear it like that. And, and that's what people need. They want to feel comfortable. You know, it's, we don't want to assume they know, and we don't want them to feel bad if they don't know. That's not fun. At the same time, uh, you know, just personal observation, uh, take it in the right spirit, please. Uh, I'm going to be blunt, uh, it's late night, I don't give a shit, so uh, <laughs> there's a dumbing down of yoga I'm seeing in America, it's a new phrase, dumbing down. There's a, uh, you know, I teach at a variety of teacher trainings, 200 hours, 300 hours, I'm appalled at the lack of uh, philosophical uh, and mythological like gravitas, you know. Oh, everything is one. Every, there's a lot of uh, spiritual, what I call platitudes being uttered. Uh, people need to, again, my opinion, uh, take some time, go into the study. Uh, it can be taught very nicely by the, so many good teachers, but the interests appear to be, uh, you know, going into the world of uh, banality. Uh, people know more about Kardashians than Joseph Campbell, <laughs> Carl Jung. Uh, so part of yoga is to be really, uh, you know, be aware of uh, philosophical underpinning, not just of yoga, I'm including Western philosophy. You need to know how does yoga philosophy differ from Western philosophy, how experiential it is. So as yoga teachers, it uh, behooves on us to not only teach the tradition, but also like go deeper into like uh, how do we differentiate from other philosophies out there. That's I, a, oh please. Sorry. Um, please. I was gonna, on that note, uh, I wanted to just quickly remark and, and acknowledge that that we're bridge walkers <laughs> and that there's different bridges to walk. And I acknowledge the bridge that you're walking to to um, to make yoga accessible to common everyday folk. <laughs> they may not be ready to dive deeper into the Vedanta and that might not be where they're at right now. They just need to feel comfortable in their body first. If they can, you know, when my, when my, with my mom, I had to introduce yoga to my family, literally. So when my mom, you know, was dealing with heart condition and diabetes and she lost her parents, I was like, Mom, come to yoga with me. <laughs> she gained another 10 years before she had to be back on, before she had to be on diabetic medication. She had a stroke two years ago. Mm. And her 
15, 20 years of doing yoga is the reason why she maintained her flexibility. She was one of the most fl flexible people in stroke recovery, and she was like starting to walk again, right? And so like, we don't know how yoga is gonna impact people, even if it is just asana, but her whole life she grew up with Puffy, and she still recites, even though she's been compromised, she recites her Lalita Sasanama, Vishnu Sasanama every day, you know? And the, those mantras are saving her life right now, mm -hmm. right? And so whatever it's gonna take, whatever her bridge is, she can't do puja anymore, but she can recite her mantras mm -hmm. every day. That's beautiful. And yeah. so I think it's like wherever we can build access point, great. And I know for me, as a Desi woman, you know, like first, second generation American, my bridge walking is to the next generation. Because for Indians who are growing up in this country, they might be singing songs and they might be learning their language, but they're so checked out of the bhakti. They're so checked out of mm. devotion. They think it's like, ah, oh, my amma, my tata, they're smoking now. Nobody does that anymore, <laughs> you know? But then they hear my music and I'm like landing it for them with some hip hop beats or house beats or whatever. And it's landing for them and they're feeling devotion maybe on a different level than now I've reached them, right? So like where, where what's her access point? Right. Yeah, I love, love that. that bridge building. Yeah, and, and you know, um, for me too. I mean, I'm going to bring in a different perspective, a different angle, because something that drew me to yoga when I went to India and I left medical school and I was a bad Indian kid, and I left all that <laughs> and, and went on my own personal seeking journey, inner seeking journey. Um, I I really connected to the metaphysics of of yoga, and I really got really interested in all the occult stuff there that's um un is not written down in books and that has to be orally or experientially learned um and in that experience of that i i feel we have to be cautious um in speaking about yoga and practicing and now there's you know TikTok and social media um and everybody has these online classes um that are teaching occult things it's we have to just be very wary because i don't know if you guys are familiar but a hundred years ago one of the biggest factions that joined Nazi Nazi Germany, like some of the big one of the biggest factions that joined Hitler was the occult spiritual community in Germany. People need to realize this, it was this community. This this is the kind of community that joined Hitler. And and things repeat. And other, and other organizations. Yeah, yeah, but it was the spiritual community was one of the first ones to kind of like jump on. And it's not the first time it's happened in the world, in different communities. Um, because there's power in what we're doing, right? When we meditate, when we visualize, when we pray, when we do these invocations, they're all super powerful. But it can easily be co-opted if we're not wary about it, if we're not aware about what's going on. And we're also not like spiritually bypassing the responsibilities around us now, right? If we're not involved in civic thing, I mean, Bhagavad Gita to me, when I translate and understand it, it's the marriage between spiritual power and civic power. Because Krishna's, Krishna's telling Arjun, you gotta, you gotta go against your cousins, even if they're your cousins, because they're messing stuff up, they're corrupt. They're corrupt. Are there any corruption? Is there any corruption going on around you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if we ignore that corruption, is it going to get better? Ever? So what's our karma? Got my yoga there, right? Um, so I saw some hands really quick. I want to acknowledge his, and then you can say something, bro. But go ahead. Yeah, so, um, well, yoga uh, was like an invisible door that I opened about 10 years ago. 
فرد 